kicked off Joshua last week, looking at verses 1 through 9. We're going to make our way through the book. Uh, just as a, a way of reminder, if you have connected with the, uh, the Faith Life Study Bible or you've connected with our church on faithlife.com, uh, I've got a reading plan up there that follows the sermon series, so you can read the passage ahead of time, which I encourage you guys to do because we want to follow what Scripture says, not necessarily what, what I say. So you can always be on top of the, the Word of God and, and be following along that way. But we're going we're gonna to dig in, and, and one of the things that, that we saw last week at the beginning of the book of Joshua was this uh, command by God, by Yahweh, for Joshua to take Moses' place. Moses, the, the great leader of the Israelites, had died, he had passed on, and they needed a new leader. Joshua was that leader who was tapped, and, and Yahweh, over and over again, is reminding Joshua to be strong and courageous for the task that's ahead of him. That his dedication to God's law was going to be uh, incredibly important in terms of whether their mission to take the land of Canaan was a success or whether it was a failure. And, and so here we have the Israelites standing on the uh, eastern bank of the Jordan River, just east of the area that we know as, know as Palestine or Israel. And they're getting ready to, to cross over into that land and begin a series of wars and a, and a series of battles to take that land. I know that gets a little weird, and we're going to talk about some of those issues when we get to them. But right now we're going to dig in to the, the latter part of chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And so if you guys would stand with me and turn to Joshua chapter 1, or click or swipe this little thing in the Faith Life Study Bible, take you right there. And we will read verses 10 through 18 of chapter 1 of Joshua together. We'll pray and then we'll, we'll hit it. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things. So we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Father, may we um, be transported. May, may we go back in time a little bit and stand at the banks of the Jordan River. We have to traverse time and, and, and such huge cultural barriers 
um, as, as we try to engage these, these very ancient texts, and yet they are your word to us, God, and we thank you for them. We thank you for the way you still speak to us across those, those boundaries of time and space to us today. And, and so may you tune our hearts and our minds to, to really understand. Uh, may my words be clear that, that that's possible here. And God, as, as we prepare to, to metaphorically cross a, a Jordan River as a body today, I pray that you would give us the strength and courage that you enjoined your servant Joshua. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. So again, we, we've kind of got two parts of this opening chapter of the book of Joshua. And the first Part of that is Yahweh's commands to Joshua himself. And the second part of that then becomes Joshua's commands to the Israelites. And that's where we're focusing today. And we can see that they are about to embark on a fantastic journey. A journey that that was going to be dangerous, that was going to be scary, that was going to be possibly devastating for them if things went wrong. Lots of risk involved. Lots of opportunity for great things. But an uncertain future by human standards. And I think that where we resonate with Joshua and the Israelites, what we can see in this passage is that just like them, for us to embark on God's purposes for us, Like them, we need to prepare, and we need to participate, and we need to pledge. And I'm going to break that down as we go. But I think what we see in this passage, again, are the Israelites are preparing for this journey. They are participating in this journey, and they are pledging for this journey. And let's look at each one of those. First of all, to embark on God's purposes, we need to prepare. We see that in verses 10 and 11. And it says there, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. So, some of this we said last week. Some of you guys are fresh this week. It bears repeating because some of us forget stuff too. The Israelites had... uh, grown out of this family of a guy named Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And because of their faithfulness to God, despite all their imperfections, because of their faithfulness to God, God promised them, among other things, that they would have an inheritance in the land of Canaan. That though they were wanderers, though they were strangers, though they were uh, immigrants who didn't have a home, God would give that land to them and give them a place and give them a home. And if you know the story of the first five books of the Old Testament, you know that was a long and winding journey. It involved uh, them going down to Egypt to flee a famine and and rising to power in Egypt, Um, but then a new government coming into power in Egypt and, and the Egyptians turning the Israelites into slaves at that time. Them being rescued from the Egyptians by the powerful hand of God. And, and fleeing the Egyptians and the destruction of the Egyptian army. But then because of the Israelites' unfaithfulness to God, they were forced to wander 
in the, in the desert, in the wilderness of Sinai and, and south of Canaan for about 40 years. And now they've, they've come around, a new generation is, has grown up, a, a generation that wasn't part of the rebellions against Yahweh, against the God of the Israelites, the God of all creation. And they're faithful to him. They stand at the banks of the Jordan River. They're about to cross over into this land that God promised their ancestors would be their descendants. And now God is saying that the, the wickedness of the Canaanites, that the evil and the sin in their land is so great that it is time for an end to their civilization. And so it is the appropriate time to give it to Israel. And I know that brings up lots of questions. We're going to get to them as the text gets to them. So hold some of those thoughts for those, those weeks and just keep coming back. We like that part. Um, but what we have here is God is telling them through Joshua now, the servant, Joshua gathers his commanders and he tells the commanders to go out into all the people and says, prepare your provisions because within three days we're crossing over. And as we look through the book of Joshua, we wonder, okay, what kind of provisions would this people need? And some of them are obvious. I mean, imagine you've been camping, literally camping for 40 years, sort of a mobile uh, encampment, and, and you're pitching your tents, and then you're studying out, and you're pitching your tents, and you're studying out. You probably travel rather light, although we do know that the Israelites had some spoils of victory from Egypt. But we know there's a few things that they've got with them that have to go across this Jordan River with them, and one of those things is the ark. The ark and the tabernacle, these are, are some of the key pieces that have to go across the river with them, and we We'll see that in chapters 3 and 4, how that takes place. But the Ark of the Covenant is the place where God would meet his people in the Israelites' faith. It was the, the place that was in the, the innermost portion of the tabernacle. Later it would be the innermost portion of the temple. And they placed the copy of God's law inside this Ark. And, and God's presence would come there and meet with the priest or the leader of God's people. And so they needed to prepare. This was the job of one of the tribes, the Israelites, the Levites. They took care of the, the tabernacle and the ark and all the accoutrements that went with it, the lampstands, the tent poles. Um, but the ark needed to be prepared to move because they were not going to go anywhere without the ark and the tabernacle. They needed, of course, their families. One of the things that's interesting about this is it's not a typical warfare. It's not a typical conquest in the sense that they're moving into a foreign land ostensibly to do war, and they're taking everybody with them. When we go to war, typically we leave everything behind, right? Right? When we send the soldiers out in the battlefield, we don't tell them, take your wife and your kids and your two dogs to Iraq with you. That's not, that's not how we do it. So when, but when the Israelites go, they weren't going to, to knock out a dictator and then come home. They were going to stay. And so they needed to get their families together. They needed to get their children together. They needed to get food for the journey. They needed... Uh, Something to eat. Water, they would have had. They, they were crossing a river. 
but they did need to secure the food that they were going to need at least for a three-day journey. Some of that would have been involved in the flocks that they kept, in the herds that they kept, the cattle, the sheep, the lambs. But if you're in the middle of, a, of trekking across, you're not going to be stopping to slaughter an animal. And so uh, certainly they would have had to prepare some food to take with them. And then, of course, their belongings. Again, this wasn't like Afghanistan. This wasn't like Iraq. They were making a permanent shift of location. And so all those spoils of war that they took from the Egyptians, all those spoils of war that they took from defeating their enemies on the eastern side of the Jordan River, those things would by and large go with them where God was taking them. This is not your normal type of warfare. It fits into a different category. And so when you think about what they had to do to get ready to cross this river, it it really boils down to this. For them to prepare is the same as for us to prepare. We need to stay near God's presence. As we look to embark on God's purposes for our life and we want to prepare for what that looks like, we need to stay near God's presence. The Israelites realized that and that they would have been preparing the ark and the tabernacle for transport into, the, into Canaan. The ark was symbolic of God's very presence in their faith community. And so we too, we too, as we prepare to do what God has for us, need to stay near God's presence. I, I have said, and I'll say it again, and I'll talk more about it tonight, 2016 needs to be a year I believe when we push out as Gateway Downtown, we have been stagnant in an inward focus for too long. And there's some good reasons for that. And not, an inward focus is not a bad thing. Okay? Being inward is not bad. There are things that we need to, we need to look introspectively. We need to build up structures. We do need to look at our own lives and, and, and see where we're not holy, where we need to grow in our Christ-likeness. These are good things but they do need to be balanced with an external focus as well, that we care about the the city that we live in, that we care about the people who don't know Jesus Christ who live in this city and across our world. And so we need to start moving our vision into a more balanced vision that's both internal and external. And that can be scary. That can be dangerous for us. And so the first thing we have to do is ensure that we are going to stay near God's presence. That we're going to keep God's presence in front of us wherever we go. That we don't go where God's presence isn't leading us, but we stay close behind it. That's how the Israelites, we're going to see, move through the land of Canaan. The ark, God's presence is going to go out before them and they're going to follow in close behind. The ark is going to go before them in war. It's going to go before them in battle, and they're going to follow close behind. And so we follow God's movement, and we stay in the vicinity of His presence. And so we have to do that too. What does that look like for us? We don't have an Ark of the Covenant. We don't have God's glory coming down in a tabernacle. But we do have the greater tabernacle and the greater presence of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, lived among us, died, sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins so that we could be drawn spiritually near to God and 
so that he could keep his promise, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age, he promises. And so he sends us his Holy Spirit to be with us, to be present with us, to be an encourager, to be a comforter, to show us our weaknesses, our failings, our sins, and so that we can be made more holy and like him. And so as we embark on this journey together as Gateway downtown, and as we embark on our individual journeys that God puts us on, we need to be constantly going back to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And the primary way we do that, the primary way we do that is by spending time with Him. We have His Word. He teaches us in His Word. We can read the Gospels. We can read the words that He spoke through His prophets and His apostles. And we, we meditate on them, as we talked about last week, that not, a, not the Eastern concept of meditation, but um, reflecting on His character, reflecting on the things He's done, reflecting on um, who He is, and celebrating those things on our very lips. That's a, a form of meditation that Scripture encourages. We pray to Him. We, we, we speak with Him. We talk with Him. We have no tabernacle, no temple, because in the blood of Jesus Christ, we have direct access to the Father. And so we take advantage of that. And that not only do we take advantage of that, but we keep that first. We let that be what is our guiding force. We let God go ahead of us, and we follow close behind. But we also have to gather around God's people. There are are spiritual battles that are coming upon us, and, and we know that, and every day is a spiritual battle in this world. And so we do it by gathering God's people around us. Even as the Israelites didn't go into battle without their families nearby, that is the same for us. We need this family. The church is the family of believers. It is called a family in Scripture. We are considered to be brothers and sisters, sons of the King. And so we have a new relationship with each other, a family relationship with each other, And we forget how necessary that is at our own peril. Just like the Israelites before us, we need the strength of each other to embark on God's purposes for us. And we need to take our belongings along. And let me explain what I mean by that, because that could be taken the wrong way. But for the Israelites, they left Egypt with nothing. They were slaves. They were without. They had no possessions of their own. And yet when they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians were so terrified of what this God was doing amongst them that they said, take it. Take our gold. Take our silver. Take our clothing. Take it. Just go. And so they plundered the Egyptians without even laying a finger on them. They didn't earn these things. They didn't take them for themselves. It was given to them. And in the same way, we who are Christians know that we were enslaved to sin. We know that there was a force that held a power over us 
that caused us to live a certain type of life. And we know that in Jesus Christ, the power of sin is broken and we no longer are slaves of sin. But we are free to serve a new master, a good master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And even so, He has given us spoils of His victory over sin. And when He sends us the Holy Spirit, He gives us gifts. He gives us blessings in this life. And so when we embark on the dangerous and scary missions that God sends us on in this life, we do it remembering and clinging tightly to the blessings that God has given us. What I mean is not that we hold on to our car or our house and and we say, this is mine, I'm holding on to it. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But we have a recognition that God has blessed us. God has cared for us. God has provided for us. And He has given us, especially in His Spirit, gifts that prepare us for this. And those blessings are a reminder of His goodness and a reminder of His provision so that we can trust Him as we move forward. And so we don't go across that Jordan River without remembering what He has already done for us. There's a confidence that comes with remembering who He is. And so as we prepare, both as a church for some some new endeavors and individual, I've, I've talked to several of you just in the last week who are talking about some new endeavors. How are you preparing for it? Prepare for it by staying near God's presence, by gathering around God's people, by nourishing yourself on God's Word, by remembering God's blessings. Keep these things close. But to embark on God's plan, we also need to participate. I'm going to have to flesh this one out a little bit more, but look at verses 12 through 15. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possessions and shall possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. So what's going on here? All the way back in Numbers chapter 32, the Israelites had had a series of military victories over some nations east of the Jordan River. And a few of the tribes, namely, so we talk about the tribes of Israelites, uh, you had Abraham, you had Isaac, you had Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons kind of developed into 12 family clans, 12 family, we call them tribes. After each of the sons, they're named, and they, each one grew to thousands and thousands of people over time, as you can imagine. And the Reubenites, those who were descendants of Reuben, the Gadites, those who were descendants of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in other words, about half of the people that were descended from the son Manasseh, said to Moses, hey, didn't God give us this victory too? I know this isn't in Canaan, west of the Jordan, but didn't God give us this victory? Wasn't this 
His provision, His power. We didn't seek out a war. We didn't seek out a battle in this case, but they came against us and, and we defended ourselves and God gave them over to us. And so we conquered this land. And, and Moses, look, uh, this, this half of us in Manasseh and, and the guys over in Reuben and the guys over here, we got lots of sheep. We got lots of flocks and herds and they need lots of space. And this, this area is nice and flat and it's good for that kind of stuff. Shouldn't that be part of our inheritance? Shouldn't this be included as part of the land that God has given us? And, and Moses agrees. He said that God has given us this land, but under one condition. You're going to be tempted that if this is your land and, and everyone else in Israel is going to go across this river and fight these enemies, you're going to be tempted to stay back because you already have yours. Moses said, you can have this. This can be your land. This can be your property under the condition that you pledge that when we get there, you go too. Just as your brothers helped you fight these battles here, you're going to help them fight their battles on the west side of the Jordan. And so there was a question of whether or not the whole family of Israel would participate. They had made a pledge at the time. In Numbers 32, they said, yes, absolutely, we're going to do that. But we know how that works. In the moment when something's distant in the future, it's easy to say yes. And when death is knocking on your door, it's a little bit easier to say no. And so there's a question here, are they going to fully participate? And Joshua reminds them, you will inherit this land that we're in. It's yours. God has given to you. Only what you need to do is trust trust God that it's going to happen. You made a promise. You made a promise that we're going to go across together. And that's going to be scary because you guys are going to need to leave your families behind. You've got so much sheep and so much cattle. They're going to stay behind the land. You're going to leave your wives behind the land. And you're going to leave your children behind in the land. You guys, you two and a half tribes are going to leave this behind because your warriors are needed over here. There's no police. Okay, this, is, this is roughly 1500 B.C. There's no police. There's no security forces. All there are are a bunch of city-states and warring kings. And, and you're going to leave your wives and children and your possessions at the mercy of foreign forces. But there's a promise. They will be yours. And I don't know about you, but that would be a very scary thought. But they needed to do this. This was their promise, and they needed to fight alongside their brothers. And what that reminds us is, as Christians, that first of all, we need to Rest in God's promises. God had promised them that that portion of the land would be theirs. But there's going to be a significant risk involved to them in finally securing it. And in much the same way, very, very often, there's a risk involved in us following Christ wholly and sometimes that risk feels like it's for someone else's benefit. 
That's part of what it means to be a family, though. When we're a family as a church, when we are a bunch of Christians who are committed to one another, there are going to be times when what someone else needs, what someone else, what God wants us to do for our brother or sister is going to come at great cost to our own self. Or at the very least, great potential risk to our own selves. And that risk shouldn't stop us from doing what Christ is calling us to do because we can rest in God's promises for what He will do to us. For us, as Christians, we know that ultimately God's promises end, or at least end as far as we know, in an eternity spent in the presence of our Savior. In a new heavens, and a new earth, and a recreated world in which every tear is wiped away. And there's no disease and death anymore. In a world that is so fantastically recreated like that, there is nothing that we can't leave behind on this side of eternity. If we trust God's promises that what's on the other side is so much better. And when we do that, it allows us to take risk for one another. I think we as a American Christians, and I'm guilty of this too, we are afraid of risk. I know we like to think of, think of ourselves as the, you know, the rugged individualist who conquered the frontier and, and did all this other stuff, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we Americans like to play it safe. And I don't think God always calls us to play it safe. I think God calls us to take risks calculated risk that's based on His promises and His goodness. It's a risk because we don't see everything. We're limited in our, our human knowledge and our human fallibility, and so we're asked to step on faith. It's never a risk for God because He sees everything. He sees the end from the beginning. But from our limited human perspective, it's a risk. And so let me challenge you, if you don't see risk in your life, and this is a challenge for me as I say it, if you don't see risk in your life, are you walking in step with Christ? Because there's a good chance He's asking you to take some risks for His sake. So we need to trust our, our treasures to God because ultimately... Ultimately, we have a greater promise for a greater treasure that even if we set these things down, we know that there will be more. But third, their commitment to fight alongside their brothers reminds us that our brother's blessing is our blessing. One of the things in Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 says that there's no one who will follow Jesus in this life, who, who loses father, mother, brothers, family, friends, who won't gain that much and more in this life and forever. What Jesus is promising there to His disciples and those who would follow Him 
is that there is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. And if you want to follow Jesus, you're probably going to incur some great losses in a worldly sense. There's going to be people who think you're nuts. There's going to be people who think that you're wasting it all. There's going to be people who just are angry at you. That's fine. Because what Scripture promises us is that we'll gain all that and more, and not just in eternity, but in this life. I believe he's talking about the church. He's talking about the church with a capital C, all, all Christians, past, present, future, and all believers everywhere, unified in one. But also I think he's talking about those local manifestations of the church. That in this group of people right here, we have brother upon brother upon brother upon sister upon sister upon sister. We have, we have fathers, some very young fathers. We have mothers, some very young mothers. We, we, have, we have children, you know, and, and we have a family. And we are committed to one another, I hope, and I pray, and I hope we're, we, we're more and more so every day, growing in our commitment and our love for one another so that we can fight each other's battles for them because my brother's blessing is my blessing. In the short term, maybe it doesn't feel that way. In the short term, I'm taking a sword, I'm going out there, and I might lose my life, and I might, I might fall down. But ultimately, my brother's prosperity, spiritually speaking, not necessarily financially speaking, is, is my prosperity, is my blessing. We, when one of us is strong, all of us are strong. Paul uses the, the metaphor of the, the church as a body, right? When my back hurts, I'm done. It doesn't matter if my arm feels good, right? It doesn't matter if my legs feel good. If my back is done, all of me is done, right? If I've got a headache, I'm done, right? But when a part of me is doing well, when a part of me that was ill gets healthy, it's like every part of me gets better. Even though it's only one part of me that recovered, every part of me gets better. One part of me can take Tylenol. I can take, use my mouth and my hand, I can take Tylenol to get rid of the headache. I can take, you know, naproxen to get rid of my back pain. There are different parts of the body can help out other parts of the body so that the strength of one part allows the recovery and the strength of the other parts of the body. And we need each of us Fighting for each of us. And the Israelites held their commitment. They agreed. They didn't turn their backs. They fully participated. They left their treasure behind, these two and a half tribes, and they marched in with the rest of their brothers for the sake of their brother's blessing. Third, there's a pledge involved to, to embark on God's plan. We, we need to make a pledge. We need to make a pledge. Very, very powerful pledge. The, the pledge the Israelites made, you see in verses uh, 16 through 18, and they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So they, they pledge a few things. They pledge, first of all, they're going to follow Joshua's commands. Joshua says it, they're going to do it. Wherever he says to go, they're going to go. 
taking directions from Joshua. They're going to revere Joshua, really. They're going to treat him as well as they treated Moses, which, if you know the story, that might be a blessing or a curse. But they said, hey, we respected Moses, we followed Moses, we're going to follow you. And that's a big question. We talked about that last week as this book opens. There's sort of a, it, from the narrative perspective, there's this open question, will the Israelites follow someone who's not Moses? Here they're pledging that they will. They pledge that rebellion will be put down. If anyone rebels against Joshua, we're going to put that rebellion down. And then they encourage Joshua again to be strong and courageous. So God said three or four times, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And now the Israelites are telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. And so when we look at what, what does this mean for us as Christians? Well, we need an undying loyalty. Now, the question is to who? To whom? And we say, not me. That would be the really tempting thing to do as a pastor and, and uh, is to say, see now, you guys are the family, I'm like in charge of the family, so now you need to pledge your loyalty to me. And if anybody steps up against me, kill them. That, that would be cool, but no. That's, <laughs> that's not what the text is saying, but that's an easy way we could try to apply this text that we would be misunderstanding the way we are supposed to interpret the Bible. See, Joshua as sort of the uh, great leader of the Israelites who remained faithful to Yahweh, who led them in battle, prefigured a king for them. He basically took the role of a king, leading them in the battle and, and adjudicating civil decisions. Um, he wasn't known as a king. He didn't take that title on himself, but he did all the roles of a king. And he was prosperous in everything he did. Joshua does not prefigure the pastor of the congregation Joshua prefigures Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to embark on, on God's purposes for us, we need an undying loyalty to Jesus Christ. And where rebellion against Jesus can't be tolerated. That still sounds harsh, even when you make it Jesus and not the pastor, right? And we're not going to be putting anyone to death. But the, the point for us is that we don't fight our battles with a physical sword, but we fight our battles with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6. And, and there are spiritual battles, and there are spiritual rebellions against the good rule of Jesus Christ. And we attack those enemies with the Word of God. But there was a very real truth that, first of all, their success depended on, this goes back to last week's message, their willingness to stay faithful to God. Remember, God told Joshua in no uncertain terms, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you, be, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And so there is an absolute undying loyalty to the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, 
that we must hold on to. And there will be times, and we're going to see it in the book of Joshua, that there were times for them when people rose up and threatened the good rule of Yahweh in their midst. And it put at risk everything that God wanted to do through them. And in the same way, we have to be very careful and vigilant against doctrine and and ideas and um, falsehoods that would challenge the good rule of Jesus Christ in our midst. We cannot let those things fester, but we have to deal with them. On a practical level, that also means our own sin. Our own individual sins and our sins as a group are forces that could ultimately fester and grow like cancerous tumors and plague our family. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be perfect because we're not going to be. We're, we're messed up people. But when we mess up, we recognize our sin, we confess that sin, and, and we grow in holiness and grace. But part of that is, and part of, again, why God calls us to be a family and not a bunch of individual mercenaries, is because we need each other. I need you to show me my faults. Not in arrogance, not in... Um, Pride, but in love and, and concern, humility for me. And, and you need people in your life who are going to do the same for you. Lest that sin and rebellion creeps up and threatens to undermine the good rule of Jesus Christ in our midst. But we also need to counsel, strength, and resolution amidst this battle to God. We all need that reminder to be strong and courageous. And and, and like we talked about last week, there's a sense in which this idea of courage here is a resoluteness. It's a standing firm. Joshua needed strength and courage, not because of the battle in front of him. That wasn't what he was encouraged to be strong and courageous for. That's the way we tend to read it. Be strong and courageous because you're going to take a sword and go into battle. God said, no, I've got that. Be strong and courageous so that you keep my word. Because that, that takes true courage. It is difficult to do the things that Christ is calling us to do in the face of a world that tells us it's entirely wrong sometimes. There are many times it would be much easier to take a sword or take a gun and go into war than to simply open our mouths and share the good things of God. I don't know why that is, except that I think that Satan is much more interested in preventing us from telling people the good news about Jesus Christ than he is from preventing us from taking up a firearm. And, and, and so the things that we need strength and courage for 
are standing fast in Jesus Christ, and we need to constantly encourage one another toward that end, even as the Israelites encourage their leader, Joshua. And so, if there is a sense in which the pastor is a Joshua, it's not in the sense that you need an undying loyalty to me and that you're going to put to death the people who dislike me, but it's in the sense that I need to be reminded that I need to stand firm in strength and courage and please encourage me and challenge me and push me to do that. Because I know I need that. I know that Philip and Brian need that. We, but we all need that. And so we do that for each other. Because ultimately, our brother's blessing is our blessing. So we're going to be looking. We're going to be moving out. We're going to be crossing the Jordan River together. And that, that field that we're going into is a, is a mission field. A field of, of, of people who have have turned their, their backs on the living and true God, who, who don't know Him and are, are dying and in a dying world, and yet in that field are people that God is desiring to rescue. And He is seeking to use us in that rescue. And so, as we go out on that, let's prepare. Let's make our participation sure. And let's give our pledge of an undying loyalty to Jesus Christ from where we will get our strength to go forward. Let's pray. Father God, may we be strong and courageous, not in the strength and courage of the might of man, but may we be strong and courageous in the might of Your Son, Jesus Christ. In a strength and courage that comes from a security of knowing who He is and what He's done for us. A steadfastness by Your Spirit to follow You. That You would go before us and we would stay near and follow Your footsteps wherever You're leading us. That we might go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And God, may we be faithful to the tasks, small and great, that you're putting before us. Even this day as we prepare to have a a members meeting and, and we look to make some changes that we hope are honoring and glorifying to you, God, may we come together and fight each other's battles for us as a family, as a body, as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.